Well, hello there, and welcome to episode 16 of the Musical Connections podcast. I'm your host, Zach Snow, and we are continuing our ECMA coverage this week, talking with composer Andrew Stantaland. He is up for two ECMAs this year, and uh, we're going to talk to him right after this week's newfound releases. But before we get to that, um, the day that I'm recording this, we are in the midst of Juno Awards Celebration Weekend in Edmonton. And uh, I want to say congratulations to the Florian Hefner Trio and Becca Sims for taking home two Juno Awards uh, on Saturday. The Florian Hefner Trio took home Jazz Album of the Year for Group, and Becca Sims took home Classical Composition of the Year. So uh, congratulations to the both of you. Most well-deserved. And uh, they'll definitely be on the podcast in uh, the not-too-distant future, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, let's get to the newfound releases, and uh, we're going to start out with singer-songwriter Summer Bennett. We're going to start with her because she is the recent signee to Silly Cove Records, owned by Greg Wells and Ryan Gates. Now, her third single, Sirens, is uh, really the one under the Silly Cove Records banner, and uh, I cannot wait to see what Summer and Greg have cooking over the next couple of months. Right now, let's get to that third single from her upcoming debut album, Your Sirens, on newfound releases as part of the Musical Connections podcast. It's time. 
Summer Bennett for you on the Musical Connections podcast. The newfound releases portion of it. That's her new single, Sirens. And we are going to stick with women for this one. We're going to go to opera singer Tonya Evans Chenchuli. She released a video for this uh, brand new song. And here it is for you now. Here's Thousand Cries on newfound releases as part of the Musical Connections podcast. Still 
song there from Tanya Evans Chinchuli. She penned this in 2013 as a song to her inner child and present self. The tune there is called A Thousand Cries. And we are now going to go to underground artist Liz Fagan. And uh, she released a couple of singles on her Bandcamp page this past week. And she is set to work on a French EP with uh, record engineer and producer of the year, Michelle LaCour. And I uh, can't wait to see uh, how that turns out. Right now, let's get to our new song. This is going gone on newfound releases as part of the musical connections podcast first and last goodbye i will not see you tomorrow if you leave before the night is done Kiss me more than once before you go You're turning on the bedroom light And I hold your pillow in my teeth Your highway mindset drowning Absent, you're disconnected underneath. I'm gonna vanish over the ocean while you melt into the night. You're wishing on me like the northern star, and I'm still. Shit on me like the northern star 
great tune there from Liz Fagan that is Going Gone. And right now we're going to go to Twilling Gate born but Logie Bay residing artist Jared Waterman. Under the direction of Pharos Music and Derek Sturge, he has released his second studio album, Just Let Me Be Mad. And right now we're going to play you the second single from that album. Here's Time Has Been Sold on Newfound Releases as part of the Musical Connections podcast. newfound releases that his time has been sold and there is so much beauty with this last track on newfound releases of course it comes from the swinging bells here's that tune for you now so much beauty on newfound releases as part of the musical connections podcast 
There's so much beauty in the world, go out and see it. So much beauty in the world, you won't believe it. The earth has so much beauty, from the mountains to the sea. So much beauty waiting there for you and me. There's the grand majestic beauty, like the mountains of Nepal. There's teeny tiny buttercups, so lovely and so small. There's rivers and there's rainbows, and the stars in the night sky. So much beauty brings a tear right to your eye. There's so much beauty in the world, go out and see it. So much beauty in the world, you won't believe it. The earth has so much beauty, from the mountains to the sea. So much beauty waiting there for you and me. There's beauty in our differences and our diversity. All those little features that make us you and me. We're all unique and special from the moment we begin. True beauty means kindness and that comes from within. There's so much beauty in the world, go out and see it. So much beauty in the world, you won't believe it. The earth has so much beauty, from the mountains to the sea. So much beauty waiting there for you and me. Feel the joy when winter finally turns to spring. And the sun is out, plants start to sprout, and birds begin to sing. Let the beauty bring a song into your heart. You'll begin to feel a love so real, and that's where beauty starts. There's so much beauty in the world, go out and see it. So much beauty in the world, you won't believe it. The earth has so much beauty, from the mountains to the sea. So much beauty waiting there for you and me. There's beauty in the bumblebees and beauty in the birds. Put some beauty in your actions, in your thoughts and in your words. There's beauty in a smile you give a stranger on the street. Spread a little beauty to everyone you meet. There's so much beauty in the world, go out and see it. So much beauty in the world, you won't believe it. The earth has so much beauty, from the mountains to the sea. So much beauty waiting there for you and me. So much beauty waiting there for you and me. Alrighty, we are now next to connect with composer, guitarist, and professor of composition and electronic music at MUN, Andrew Stanteland. He is up for two East Coast Music Awards this coming May in Halifax. We talk about his entire career from growing up in Red Deer to playing in heavy metal bands when he was a teenager to the amount of colleges he is studying at, studying in subjects such as jazz, composition, as well as getting master's and doctorate degrees in composition from the University of Toronto. From the various orchestras that he's participated in to the founding of the Memorial Electroacoustic Research Lab and the uh, instruments that he's invented, such as the moon. We're going to get to that right now as we are next to connect with Andrew Stanteland. Alrighty, welcome back to the Musical Connections podcast. 
I'm your host, Zach Snow, and our coverage of East Coast Music Award nominees continues, and we're going to be going to electronic music for this next interview. He is described as a new music visionary by the National Arts Center, and uh, as a leading composer of his generation, my next guest has been up for many awards. He uh, won the Terra Nova Young Innovators Award, the National Prize winner of Evolution, and the recipient of the Karen Kaiser Prize in Canadian Music in 2014. He spent time as an affiliate composer for the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, as well as the National Arts Centre Orchestra. And he also spent uh, a residency in Paris at the Centre du Clichyshan Musical Zana Zekani in 2005. He is currently on faculty at Memorial University in St. John's, where he founded Merle, which is the Memorial Electroacoustic Research Lab. And he is up for an East Coast Music Award for the upcoming awards in May for his album Reddened by Hammer. Joining me right now is a uh, Red Dearborn, but St. John's-based composer, Andrew Standaland. Welcome to Musical Connection, sir. Thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> and uh, man, just going through your bio here, you have done a lot of stuff throughout your career, and congratulations on the East Coast Music Award nomination. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Now, um, first things first, uh, I like to ask this for all of my guests uh, ever since I started this podcast. Uh, how are things in your world right now, Andrew? Things in my world are, are are great. Thanks, thanks for asking. It's nice to be uh, nice to have some recognition at the uh, upcoming East Coast Music Awards, the ECMAs. As you mentioned, I'm up for two awards actually: the uh, for Composer of the Year and Classical Album of the Year for my release, Reddened by Hammer, which is a uh, project I'm particularly proud of. So yeah, things are things are things are great. It's been it's been a cold winter here in, in St. John's, Newfoundland uh, since since the snow came, but uh, spring's mm. on the way. Yeah, hopefully it's uh, right around the corner. I mean, like, it's like December and January were just tame and just giving us teasers of what the snow uh, was going to, what the winter was going to bring us. And then all of a sudden, February comes and, and, and Holt Man Winter basically just said, hey, you want all the snow? Here it is all at once. <laughs> here it is, yep, for sure. Absolutely. Now, um, I want to go back to uh, your early days uh, growing up in Red Deer, because you're originally not from here, but you were born in Red Deer, Alberta. You first uh, played the guitar and then uh, were uh, playing in heavy metal bands as a teenager. But I want to go back to your very early days. Uh, what drew you uh, to uh, playing music? Oh, I was always drawn to, to play music uh, ever since I can remember. There was I don't come from a particularly musical family. Uh, but there always was things around that I was interested in, you know, an old piano and a, you know, a guitar with you know, different colored strings for each of the six strings. It was never in tune. It had a you know, floating musical bridge. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think I was always uh, first through guitar and then later through composition, always sort of infatuated with with, with music in in one one way or another. So there was never a moment when I when I chose it, I think it's a, it's a, it shows me in, in many ways. Now, um, one thing I found interesting when, uh, you know, coming up with some questions for this, uh, for this conversation here, you played in heavy metal bands as a teenager, but, uh, you were known for like studying jazz and classical music and, uh, what you become known for now, electronic music. But I want to go back to the heavy metal bands, uh, for a second. Uh, what drew you to heavy metal mm-hmm. bands? Oh well, first of all, I still I still love heavy metal. It's <laughs> it's, it's definitely 
definitely, definitely part of part of my background. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, through the guitar, you you it's, uh, you know the guitar's repertoire. You know, if you if you study you know piano at a classical the path that many people take, you know you you encounter Western classical music right away, and you learn the music right away, and you uh, you, you know you, you learn how to how to play other people's stuff, mm-hmm. you know, right right from the beginning. So you're playing Bach, Beethoven, and the rest 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 of that stuff, uh, and, and that's fine. But that's not my not my background. Uh, you know, through the guitar and many guitarists uh, have this shared experience is that it's the the way of and playing the instrument is fundamentally different than than any other sort of Western classical tradition of learning. Like many people come to the guitar first as tinkers, uh, and then as people who learn by ear, and then and then as improvisers. And those the, those those things are not the classical way of learning. The classical way of learning is you learn how to build build a classical through you know prefab repertoire that in many cases is hundreds of years old. And there's particular ways to play it, and deviation is not encouraged, and so forth. And nothing could be different than that on the guitar. And uh, and yeah, you know, the guitar naturally comes with this repertoire that it's known for, which is, of course, mostly popular music. Uh, you know, blues, rock, and which of course becomes metal. And uh, and so it, it's just kind of what was metal was just kind of what was what was around. And uh, in right, you know, in retrospect. Uh, you know the things that like early metal, like uh, you know Deep Purple and bands like Monrose and or even Kiss or you know Twisted Sister or, <laughs> or my or my, my favorite very favorite band, you know metal band that they are. And me looking back, and not not particularly not particularly metal in, in any sense of like the post two thousand uh, way of understanding metal. Like you looking back, and like this is kind of yeah, rock. Yeah. Or like this one, you know, it's like this is rock. So. The definition of metal moves all over the place, but it, it was it was just the way the guitar led me to uh, the, the guitar kind of the guitar was the compass, I guess, and I, and I found that that repertoire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, just some of the of the work that you would find on heavy metal tunes can really you know uh, overlap into jazz because you see like a lot of these jazz uh, guitarists, and especially like you know the other ones like Django Reinhardt. Um, you you really can like. Uh, like jazz and heavy metal, really though, like have more in common than you think. Oh, I would, I, I would, I would agree with that. Um, and I, I think also contemporary, contemporary classical music. And I think, I mean, I guess, I guess it goes even even deeper into earlier classical music. But you know, in some ways, you know, Bela Bartok, the Hungarian composer, was one of the first heavy metal people. Or Shostakovich, you know, uh, you, you listen to some of their stuff, and you, and you can imagine playing drums and, and guitar and, and bass and playing the same thing. So it's sort of more of an, of an attitude and an energy that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that you can see in many other, many other places. I would say the biggest difference between as a guitarist with, between metal and jazz, and I've, I've done both is that jazz has a harmonic sophistication that, that is sort of geared in an entirely different way. Whereas, uh, metal is not really concerned with those paths in the, in the same, same mm-hmm. kind of way. But, yeah. uh, yeah. Now, um, you uh, like uh, now when you grew up, um, you uh, you started like going to like various universities. So, uh, you studied jazz at the Grant McEwen Community College in Edmonton, which is now McEwen University. 
and uh, you studied composition there with Gordon Nicholson, and then you went on to study classical guitar at the University of Lethbridge, and uh, and around that time, you before before you uh, went to uh, the University of Toronto and got both master's and doctorate degrees in composition as well. Um, so uh, why decide to study uh, jazz and uh, classical music? Uh, is that something you were really like always drawn to? Uh, you know, especially going going from heavy metal to jazz and classical. Were you always drawn to that sort of like classical and jazz sound? That's a, that's, that's, a, that's a great question, and I, and I think about it now because I'm I am now a have been for some time a teacher, and I see young young people coming up coming out of the out of the school system and, and you know wanting to do music and I see I see them making those choices you know committing to these programs that you just mentioned and I think that when I when I finished high school I wasn't I mean I'm speaking to you now as somebody with a you know with the highest degree you can attain in academia you know like a, <laughs> a doctor in my in my discipline so certainly I I found my way but mm-hmm. I wasn't a particularly inspiring academic in my high school uh I, I, was, I was on a different path at, at that point i guess you could say uh but i but you know music went around and i loved the guitar and uh and and, and music generally and i think that you know there was a really important moment that that, that happened where I, I met a really inspiring music teacher his name was dave smith he's uh he's since passed on but he taught for many years at, at victoria Composite high school which is now the victoria school for the arts uh-huh. in edmonton and uh, and Dave Smith was a professional horn player. He played with the ESO, and he knew a lot about music tech as well. And I met him, and music became an alternate path for me. When uh, uh, the, you know the path I was on, the people that I was with on that path weren't going good places, you know. And I'm saying like, lot, lot, just bad, bad life choices in, in, in every way you can you can interpret that. And and I was. I had a, I guess, a foot in, in that world, maybe both feet at a time. And, and, and music, you know, meeting a transformational teacher opened up this alternate path to me, and, and it was just just a really bright light. And I joined his jazz band, and this, this would have been, gosh, grade 10, grade 11, grade 12, I'm not sure. And I, I, I didn't read a lick of music, uh, you know, beyond, you know, grade one, how Leonard guitar method. <laughs> and I just got into that jazz band, and and had some good friends too who were in, in, into music, and that really became my path out of probably what would have been a much darker timeline in my life. Uh, so it was really, I, I was just so compelled to be on that path, and that path just naturally leads you to, uh, to to the next the next thing, and the next thing for whatever reason is is that whole secondary piece. And because I wasn't strong in academics, I uh, wasn't actually even eligible to get into university. I played at the U of A. Uh, a big bureaucratic place like that, and you know, in retrospect, it was a huge favor. I think it would have been a terrible thing for me to go to U of A and my classical program. Uh, so, but Gravitation would take me, and I, I did the preparatory program to get my, you know, I let my music skills up up to snuff. I knew enough about jazz that I liked it, but I was never particularly attracted to it. Zach, I was never like, yeah, I want to be a, I want to go and play jazz like like this. It, it, it was it was just more like it was just the next step. And, mm-hmm. I, I, I think most people in those programs must have must have a similar experience. Like you don't go there because you want to be a jazz player. You go there because it's the next place you can go with your skills. Exactly. And they happen to do and they happen to do jazz. But I always felt like a little bit of an alien, and, and I and I still do with jazz. Like 
I, I got I got pretty decent as a bass player when I was when I was in it. Um, you know, played professionally for a bit or whatever. But I was never particularly good at it. I'm still not particularly good at it. It's just not. It's just. It's just not my. It's just not where I have something unique to say. Um, so no, I wasn't particularly pulled by jazz. I was I was pulled by the, the path that would give me these skills and all the things that I got when I was there. Like you know, you learn a lot about music. Generally, you know, the, the harmonic language in jazz is mm-hmm. broadly applicable to anything that's tonal. And then meet the music technology. Uh, you know, uh, there's a great guy you know, there's still. I think he still teaches there. He's still around. Jimmy Phelps had this. He had a great course I took, and was super creative. And you know, I. I kind of the music of Laurie Anderson and Brian Eno. Uh, and then I met Gordon Nixon, who you mentioned. And and Gordon would, you know, we, we would go from when you kind of play, you know, big, big, or, or big band. And, I, and then he would just like say, here's some Peter Maxwell Davies and Stravinsky and check this out. And I was like, whoa, that's incredible. And it blew my wow. mind and still to this day. It was just this, like, this is, this is it. This is so weird and wonderful and amazing. And, you know, it's like going and discovering the, like you've been to an art gallery and you've seen Renaissance art and classical art and, you know, the rest of it. But almost some of these shows, you like the, the 20th, 21st century part of the the gallery where you're like, you can do this? <laughs> you know, like you walk in and it's like, there's a giant hamburger in the middle of the room and it's 10 feet tall, man. I want to, I want like, so, so, so that, that was, that was the path that, that I knew was for me and, in retrospect, there was no no turning back. So yeah, there are these teachers are so important. I think about that as a, a, a you know as a, as a teacher myself. Like like te- teachers have this ama- amazing ability to become you know beacons in a, and and on a, on an uncertain path, and, and you just never know <laughs> yeah. where they're where they're going to lead. You know, and, no, yeah, where would we be without teachers? You know. Exactly, exactly. Uh, my mom's a teacher herself. Uh, she's a primary elementary teacher, and uh, she does a lot of work for, uh, you know, the students that are, you know, coming in from other countries, and especially from this province. Like, teachers do hold a very important uh, role in life to, you know, teach, uh, put forward to the next generation uh, knowledge that they could use in the future. Um, and especially now, like, uh, when you're going to university like that, when you're, you know, studying composition and doing uh, classical guitar, um, it's really those skills that can really make you uh, who you are today. Hundred percent. And uh, I think back to your original question: you know, were, you, were you drawn to jazz? I, I think really the answer is no. I, w- I was drawn by an incredible teacher, or, or several. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, it's you know, and, and it's just it, a lot of people have stories like that. Like you know, people go to university or whatever they don't know what they're going to do, and then they meet this professor who, for whatever reason, they think boy, there's something here. Maybe I could do what this person does. And then they go into anthropology or, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? So. Yeah. I mean, like with all the yeah. universities you've been to, how can you choose just one favorite teacher? Um, that, that's, that, that's a fun question. Um, I, I, when it, when it comes down to it, everybody has an answer to say, you know, when they say, who is my teacher? I, I would say, you know, Gary Kolesha is my teacher. That's what I say. Cause he's a, he was a, he's, he's, he's my one teacher answer. But when you go when you go deeper, it's like who get uh, how do you weigh who who's most important? So there's Dave Smith, who you know was right at the beginning of it all and and helped me pull away from a gravity of a very uh, of a lot of very you know negative things and poor life choices uh, and into this wonderful creative 
stream him on now. I mean, how, how can you, how can that not be the most important? And then Gordon Nicholson, who imparted in me or what I, or what I got from him, I guess is, you know, this insatiable enthusiasm and, and curiosity that he had really awakened those, those same qualities in me. And I think those are, those are super important too. And then lots of people, of course, to my undergrad, but when I met Gary Delesha, you know, he, oh, he gave me many things, but technique, you know, I was ready for him when I, I was ready for a teacher like him when I, when I'd met him, uh, you know, I had already had curiosity and interest in a burning passion to get better. And he, and he just gave me so much technique and career skills. And then my, after him, I did my four years of a doctorate with, with Chris Osaptis, another amazing composer and teacher. And he gave me so much. And, and now I'm taught by my colleagues, like, you know, like, you know, and taught by my students. It's, it's hard to say who's, yeah. who's, who's the one. Yeah. yeah. And uh, when you become a teacher yourself, you really take uh, you really know, you really don't take uh, you know what you were taught for granted anymore. I mean, you really you know appreciate you know what you've gone through, and uh, you know being a teacher yourself now, I say you uh, cherish that now more than ever. Yeah, 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 I, I do, and uh, and I think it's well, yeah, there's lots lots to talk about in in that. It's a real, it's a, it, it's a privilege to be able to to share what I've learned from all the people that have made such a difference in. in in, in my life, and mm-hmm. and I I like to say, or I like to think that I that I bring the the best of of what I've learned, and and try and share that as uh, as much as I can. That's wonderful, Andrew. Now, um, your work, uh, you've uh, composed a lot of great tunes, and uh, it's been performed by the likes of Francis Marie Uiti and uh, fellow uh, ECME uh, nominees Duo Concertante. And uh, you also uh, was performed by the Griffin Trio and Les Percussions de Strasbourg. And um, just overall, does it give you a very gratifying feeling knowing that your music is being uh, performed and published worldwide, uh, like on a, on a on that big of a scale like that? Well, I can tell you that the the thing that is most most gratifying is is uh, is a, is a, a healthy and exciting collaboration with 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 with, with these people. Uh, that that's what I what I cherish most about uh, about this life in music is is these incredible opportunities to collaborate with with highly skilled and uh, musicians, and it's uh, it never never gets old. I, I tell you, it's <laughs> but 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 the best part about it is the best part about it is you know making when when you make you know make music with these people. In my case, as a composer, where I I write for them and then they. You know, they, they play my music. It's uh, it, it, it's one of the one of the most amazing things you can you can experience to have your to have your your work um, in a in a discourse like that with with musicians of such a high, high caliber. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's pretty great. Wonderful man. Now um, you uh, were composers on various uh, orchestras such as the uh, National Arts Center Orchestra and the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. But um, in 2005, you were a composer in residence at the Centre de Création Musicale, Zani Zikani in Paris. I hope I pronounced the last two words right, but you spent a residency in Paris. Now, um, before you correct me on uh, my pronunciations there, uh, I want to ask you, uh, what was that experience being a composer in residence in Paris like? Well, first of all, nobody pronounced, it's very, very uh, common to mispronounce his name. It's actually a it's actually a Greek Greek name. It's Yanis Zanakis. 
Giannis uh, and Nakas. Okay, good. Just so you know, but don't but don't feel bad. Don't let it out. A lot of people get it. <laughs> everybody will I mean, know what you meant, and, and everybody will uh, forgive you for that. It's, uh, <laughs> good. Uh, good. Yeah, you know that that, that was interesting. Like, this, is, this is a good this is a good story for that. And after all, this is a podcast, and of course, about good stories. So why don't totally. we? Why don't we go down that road? Um, yeah. So I had had a. Uh, a really early piece of mine, like in 2001, I met that uh, called Four Violin Number Three, I believe. And it was this uh, piece I'd written during my master's degree. And, and in many ways, it's my first, in retrospect, it's my first you know, professional piece. Um, you never know where that line is going to be until 20 years later. When I look back, I'm like, that's the piece. And it, it, uh, I'd written this piece for solo violin. Uh, uh, as the title suggests, and uh, I was listening back to it in the studio at the time at the University of Toronto, and I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to create an electronic backing track or like a, what they call tape or sound file playback that would sort of envelop this piece that I've written? Because I've written with so much space to breathe with openness. And I got, and I got around, I got, got, got to work out of the studio, and I ended up writing this, this, this piece, which ended up being uh, four violin number three, and uh, it was really successful. I, I, I guess it was it was performed at the music festival there, and uh, there was a, a, an amazing violinist named Scott St. John who was around Toronto all the time. And oh, wow. Scott, you know, Scott's yeah, he's he's uh, he's he's worked at all kinds of different places, but he's you know one of Canada's treasures for sure. He's a nice, you know, world class violinist, and, and he and he would just play student works because that's the kind of guy he was. <laughs> And, and he played this piece, and it was just amazing, right? And I got, and I got this, I got a tape of it, I got a recording of it, which is a big deal. You know, hard, it was hard to get a good recording back in, back in the day. Uh, and and this piece opened up all kinds of all kinds of doors for me, which eventually led to led to Paris. But um, how, how it, I, I believe it, 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 that piece was responsible for getting on my first Sokan Young Composers Award, I believe, which ended up being the first of many of those. It was a real door opener piece. And it got it got programmed by the Le Nouvel Ensemble Moderne, which is a an ensemble in Montreal. And uh, I, uh, I I was excited, and I went to the show, and it was really exciting. We drove down drove down to Montreal with my wife at the time. Or, yeah, she's my wife, Tana. Uh, we got married in two thousand and two, so I, I think she was my wife at that point. Oh no, she was my girlfriend. And uh, the concert was great. It was really cool. It was very exciting to be, you know, based on this important program. And then I got, and then I got a call like a couple weeks or a month later, and they said, "Congratulations, you've won." And they said, "What do you mean? Well, I won. What, what did I win?" Was it's like, "Well, it's your, you know, this concert, concert in Montreal." I said, "Yeah, yeah, I know." I said, well, apparently, the best piece on that festival, or that concert, or what have you, was. The composer of that piece was going to win its residency in, in Paris at the Centre de Création de Musique in Instanakis, and I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" I didn't oh, know there was wow. a contest, and yeah, it was a total. It was a total win where you didn't know you were competing. <laughs> just like, like uh, which, which, by the way, I think there's something to learn there because music is not a competition, and maybe we can talk about that. That's what means. but but I was, so of course I, I I took it and and I went and I lived in. With the parents for a time, and uh, and worked and worked at that studio, and ended up working on another piece for the new one from there. And wow, it was, it was all in all, all in all, a great experience. But yeah, yes, that's the uh, PCMIX story. 
Yeah, that is crazy, man. And um, you mentioned awards. I mean, uh, some of the ones you're just like were up for. Um, you uh, received the 2004 Karen Kaiser Prize in Canadian Music, and I mentioned these uh, right off the top of the conversation. You, uh, yeah. of course, uh, won the uh, National Grand Prize for CBC's Evolution Composers Competition, Devolution. You mentioned mm-hmm. uh, there the Prix de l'Orchestre de la Francophonie Canadienne uh, for mm-hmm. Devolution, um, not just both, uh, not just in English but in French as well. And um, you were also um, the recipient of the uh, 2016 Terra Nova Young Innovator Award, and you also received, received three Juno nominations, two in 2017 and uh, one in 2018. Uh, knowing, like you know, the career you've had. Um, how does it feel to, you know, receive this recognition for, you know, work that you've uh, really put your heart and soul into? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I mean, I mean, it's, it feels good to be recognized by your peers, whatever that means. In a, and that, that could be in the form of an award or just somebody saying, hey, I listened to your album and I really like it. You know, just getting so, yeah, you put stuff out there and, and um, you know, people people judge it and then <laughs> and they come back and say, Hey, this is great. It, it, of course it, it feels, it feels really good. Um, there's, there's, there's no question. And I think that, you know, the, the nature, I mean, the, of the things we've described there, a few of them are, are outliers, but you know, with industry awards such as Juno's or Grammys or, you know, Academy Awards or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's instructive to, to remember, or, or it's instructive to reflect on, on how they came to be and, 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 and what they actually aspire to do. And, um, and when you look at say, like when the Academy Awards were invented, they were invented, uh, as a pageant to, you know, to, to boost cinema sales, movie tickets, bums and seats. You know, it, it was a, an advertising event to, to, buck a trend in the in, in movie going public which was declining at the time and the academy awards are the same thing it's a they're, they're a marketing mm-hmm. exercise if you're a big artist then you get a you know Justin Bieber or Tom Mendes or whatever yeah yeah or, you know and you, and you get one of these nominations there is a significant bump in your in your commercial output mm-hmm. you know you, you make more money you get more more downloads um, <laughs> as, a, as a small sidebar I read just last week, that you know Bonnie Raitt when she won the uh, uh, when she won her song of the year, I mean, it's re- yeah, song of the year, which was which is a big uh, big upset for some people for some reason. Oh my uh, god! I, I believe check this out though. Uh, this is another speaks to the the palm tree earnings we make out of out of streaming streaming royalties, but it, it, uh, I believe it made a six thousand dollars difference to her royalty. Oh my god! <laughs> which, which is not a lot of money when you when you're looking at a how much? Anyway, I, yeah, that's a sidebar. Uh, so, and then the Junos are, are the same thing. The Junos are really exist for the for the popular music industry. Like it's, the, you know, that's what they're about. And, and there's other categories in the, in the, in the more fringe uh, and less commercially successful areas, like jazz and classical and my area, contemporary classical and, and that kind of thing. But everything is everything is celebrated. But there really is no commercial bump for the for the, for the you know the fringe. It is just kind of an award for it's a prestigious award that people outside of music, outside of your community, they understand it. Like your, you know, your your mom's neighbor is going to know what a Juno is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, it, it becomes it, it becomes credit outside of your 
regular circles, and, and that's and that's valuable, you know. But well, just to say, you you do need to put it in this context, and you know, also mean we, we as musicians we make music, and it, music making music is not like high jump or or something. you know there there is no there is no such thing as the best composer or the best classical album. There's such thing as as classical album that sold the most, and there's there's such thing as classical album I like the best. But it, it, it's it's not ultimately not an objective uh, measure of anything. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know what you want to unpack there. No, no, it's a great <laughs> way to put it. I mean, like when it comes to awards, like uh, it's true to get it's true uh, that it's nice to get recognition for your work. But really, if people are not listening to your work in the first place, I mean, what's the point of receiving an award if people don't listen to it? Yeah. Or, or if it doesn't, if it if it doesn't, uh, if it doesn't, if it doesn't expand your audience, yeah. If it doesn't expand your audience, it's true. I mean, it, it becomes a line on your on, on your CV or whatever. But uh, I, don't, I don't know. It's uh, I think I think it's valuable. Like the ECMA specifically, we haven't spoken about them. I think it's, it's really valuable to, to shine a light on on this community of music making, and not only the kind of music making that makes a fuck ton of money, but but you know. But the kind of music that, 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 that that's concerned with other things, like uh, I think there's a lot of room for for that and a lot of value. Absolutely, and of course, I so will get to your ECMA nomination in just a moment. But uh, I want to get to uh, you uh, moving here to St. John's and uh, being here at Memorial University in 2010. You uh, joined the faculty of music as a professor, and uh, one of the fun things that I really uh, thought was interesting, you founded the Memorial Electroacoustic Research Lab. And you really, like, were drawn into electronic music um, uh, for, like, the past decade or so. So uh, why did you decide to move to Newfoundland to uh, to study here and really to become a professor here? Well, I came I came to Newfoundland in uh, January 2010 to start my, start my, uh, my, my job here. So I, I had been to, uh, to St. John's to visit as, as an artist with the Sound Symposium. In previous summers, and uh, as you know, San Francisco is in the summer, and I, I flew in, and it was just this beautiful green island with, you know, putting on putting on our best shows, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> and I was I was just just smitten with the place. There's so many people are. It's such a fun place here. Oh yeah. And I remember, and I remember you know, calling Tana uh, from the payphone at, at, by the by the Fortis, by the old Fortis building on Water Street, saying I didn't have my them stuff on that one. Saying, uh, hey, phones, what yeah, are they? We got it. Yeah, I know, right? I, the the payphone's still there. Or, or oh, wow. The <laughs> uh, right? No, I know. It's, how how times have changed? And I, and I wonder, I said, man, we, we got to move here one day. This is amazing. And, and so it really, uh, it really made an impression on me. And uh, at that time, I was, I, I, I completed my, my doctoral studies and I was feeling like a composer in Toronto. And I was starting up a two or three year residency with the Toronto Symphony as a Philly composer. Uh, and uh, and actually, I believe I was just off that fresh win from the the award you mentioned, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's uh, Evolution Award, which was a huge prize uh, in retrospect. In fact, I was in, I was in Banff in residency at the Centre Arts Centre there while well, I got the job offer for this job, which is an interesting story, but um, I get it. So I, I wasn't actually looking for a professor job, but uh, this job at Memorial had come up, uh, 
and I applied uh, just because I've been there. It's amazing. Why not? And I interviewed for got an interview. I was like, oh, it's cool. And I, I interviewed for it, put my best foot forward. And then, you know, with these these academic job interviews are crazy, right? Like, you know, they they, they, they can go over weeks or months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like a three-day interview. And then when you're done, and you just don't know when you're going to hear. Uh, so I, then I went off to residency in Banff and, and uh, was competing in that. And that, that, uh, that last, that was actually the last... Uh, young composers competition the CBC ever had. They used to, they, they had that competition for many many years. Oh wow! Uh, ended up being, yeah, they ended up being the last one. And uh, I guess about halfway through that residency, I got a call from the dean at the time, Tom Gordon, and offered me the job. And so I came at a really really great time. I, a lot of things were going well for me. Uh, so I didn't give him an immediate yes or no. He he understood I needed some time and space to uh, to get back home and you know, with my family and, and talk about it face to face, not over the phone. Uh, then I, then I won a big grand prize and, and I think I won first and second prize on that one actually. Uh, and that, that was a meaningful prize. It was, it was, a, you know, a lot of money and a lot of recognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, and, uh, yeah, we, I got back home and we decided, yep, let's go. <laughs> and, uh, and we, we packed up in Toronto and after 10 years and, and moved out east to St. John's. We haven't looked back since. It was such a great move. I love, I love living here. Uh, it's a great place to be, to be based. And, and the job is fantastic at, at, uh, at Lund. It's a, it's a great job. So that's how I got here. Yeah. <laughs> that's wonderful. Now, um, uh, I want to stick with the, uh, Memorial for a second because you founded the Memorial Electroacoustic Research Lab and just going through here, uh, right now, um, you invented some new instruments. You invented the moon, mm-hmm which combines the power of digital gear with the simplicity, soul, and expressiveness of an acoustic instrument, as well as the jade. Now, um, uh, I want to start with the research lab first. Um, how long did you have that idea in, in your head for, and uh, when did you uh, open that up? Uh, right. So, so that I founded that, that, that lab pretty much right when I arrived. In fact, I think I, think I, I don't think, I'm certain of that. I actually got started on, you know, writing grants and getting everything moving well before I even started drawing a salary at that job. So I was, I was, I accepted the job in probably March or April, and I didn't start until January. And I think that, so I think in that whole intervening period, I was finishing up a huge, huge uh, piece at the time uh, called Dark Star Requiem. But and they actually. Interestingly enough, Dark Star Requiem, that piece that I was writing at that time, ended up getting two Juno nominations in 2017, which you mentioned. Uh, an interesting little tie in there. But uh, yeah, yeah so I, I, got, I, I was thinking right away about what I wanted to do. And one of the things that I wanted to do in this job was to create like a cutting edge electroacoustic music creation space. And, uh, and uh, one way to Nobody will give you money to to make good things. You, you can go and ask for, for some funding to say, "Hey, give me a hundred thousand dollars, and and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to make some great art." <laughs> that's not how the, that's not how it works. Oh yeah. Uh, but what does what does work is to say, "Ha, I'm going to create this amazing space for musical creation and research." And I'm going to build some innovative things, and maybe we can sell them after. And then people, aha, 
here's your money. You know, it's not that simple, but that's the, <laughs> that's the calculus. Like, you, you need, you need to, you need to be strategic in these, in these ways. So that's what we did. And, uh, it ended up opening up a whole, uh, sidebar adventure of, uh, uh that I, I never thought, uh, possible. So when I, when I founded Merle, I had, I had those, those two parallel paths in mind. I wanted to create an amazing cutting edge, uh, place where I could, I could work for several years and do, uh, you know, do, do the kind of work I was interested in, which is, you know, blending electronics with, uh, you know, with contemporary classical instruments. Uh, and then, uh, on the, on a parallel path, explore creating, you know, new performance instruments that can, uh, they can, they can, they can offer like a, a satisfying way to perform digitally on the stage uh, in, a, in a way that, that is compatible with sort of the, the acoustic way of performing. So, you know, if you have a pianist or a cellist or a percussionist on stage, there's a there's a clear you know visual cause effect between action and sound, right? Like the piano keys go down or the cello bow moves, and you hear sound. But when, you know, when you're playing uh, digital things. You're often stuck behind a laptop, and you know you may be doing profound musical moves, but there's no uh, there's there's no joy for the audience in seeing what you what you're doing. You know, like as far as the you noise, know, you can be checking an email or something like that. So there's 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 a big acknowledge gap there in performance. So it was that it was that problem that I wanted to address through the through the uh, you know the establishment of Merle and 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 address it. We did. I met some amazing. Uh, people through that adventure and then opened up a whole sidebar adventure in my, in my life with, you know, entrepreneurial stuff and commercialization of instruments and stuff. It was really interesting or it continues to be a really interesting path. And uh-huh. that has, that has materialized in the instruments you mentioned, uh, the Mune and more recently, uh, Jade. Yeah. Lovely man. Um, well now go to the instruments that you, uh, made, uh, the moon and the Jade. And uh, just tell me a little bit about those two instruments and uh, how you came up with the ideas for both. Right. Well, the Mune and the Jade were both uh, born out of this interdisciplinary team that I that I developed and lead at uh, at, at Mun. And they, they both uh, they're both sort of their own entities. So I'll answer them in, in, in two parts. So the Mune was was part of this this big grant that I had, had to establish uh, Murrow uh, from the Research and Development Corporation, RDC. And uh, I, with my colleague in engineering, Andy Fisher, uh, we get identified a, with a team of engineers, mostly students, who would uh, get to, you know, essentially work for us and collaborate with us to, to make these, uh, to, to answer this performance problem that I mentioned earlier that when I was doing, when I was, when I was making music with... Um, my colleagues on the on the uh, on the stage where they were playing these beautiful acoustic instruments like the cello or the piano or the percussion, and I was playing on a laptop. I, I wanted to play something different that had a more clear cause effect relationship, or I wanted the feeling of an instrument to control the, you know the digital side of the music. Uh, so that's exactly what we did, and it came in. In fact, we our, our main sort of project was actually a giant like four by three uh, transparent touchscreen where we were looking to project this uh, 
especially with the electronic musician keys on their on their screen and projected onto this uh, translucent, transparent screen, so you could actually see the hands on the on the uh, potentiometer, the, the you know the dials or the uh, or, or the faders. And that was really fun, and we had a little bit of extra extra money left over, so we actually we tried uh, not a plan B, but we just tried to explore something different. And because the piece I was working on at the time was percussion based, I thought, why don't we look at making a controller that that is also percussion based? And we engaged uh, who was then an undergraduate student in engineering, my name is Scott Stevenson, uh, to take on the work and collaborate with us. And and he ended up developing this sort of frame drum shaped controller with force sensitive uh, sensors and uh, sli- sliders and a gyroscope and an accelerometer and that kind of thing. And that ended up becoming immune. And Scott got really involved with it after his after his uh, graduation from, from Memorial, he actually did a, a considerable stint as, as a full-time entrepreneur developing uh, uh, the Mune, and he took it, or we took it, but, but he did, a, he did you know, a, a lot of work. Uh, he, uh, he took it quite far, and we had a, we had a Kickstarter, and, and we were sort of on the verge of commercializing the, uh, the device. It's a, it's a, it was a really interesting, it's a really interesting adventure. And uh, in the end, uh, we did not end up selling it to Yamaha or, or Roland, but uh, you know we got close. And there's there's still you know five or six mirrors kicking around that I that I still use. So it's probably it's not dead by any stretch of the imagination. But you know Scott has since moved on uh, to other opportunities. So that's yeah. So that's that's the mirror. Yeah, that that's that's wonderful, man. Now, um, let's go to the jade for a second. I tell me a little bit more about that. Right. So, the, so I was sit, sitting down with uh, with a with a with a friend, and we were talking about uh, you know next the next opportunities for developing the immune because there's lots of lots of opportunities. And uh, interestingly enough, it's a lot easier to attract funding for things that are new than things that are established. And, uh, and my friend said to me, he said, instead of going to, you know, fund the next development cycle on me, why don't you just try making something new? And I thought, hmm, that's an interesting idea. If I were to do that, what would I, uh, what would it be? And this was, I guess, around, geez, 2015, 2016. I thought, well, well I could make like a Venn diagram of the things I'm interested in at the moment, the things I'm you know, passionately interested in. What would they be? And I did so, and it's like, well, I'm really interested in, you know, electronic music, and I'm really interested in composition, and I'm I become really interested in mindfulness and meditation. What happens if we put? And, and then I have this experience, you know, creating instruments and, you know, uh, leading teams to, to to make new things. What happens when I put those all together? What's in the middle? And I thought, ah. It's a new instrument, a new instrument that, that has a foot in all those all those areas. And I put that forward to uh, what ended up uh, getting the the Terranova Young Innovator Award, and that and that funded uh, the beginning of Jade. And I was, I've been so fortunate with, with with people that I've met to work with. Uh, I hired two engineers again with the help of my colleague Andy Fisher, uh, uh, Sean Bennett, and Alicia Leonard. And they, uh, 
they worked to rapid prototype and design what ended up being Jade. And Jade's a really cool, really cool concept. So it's it's this instrument that has three modes of music making. One is through uh, you know biofeedback. So either your EEG signals, your brain brain waves, so to speak, or your heart rate, or some other biofeedback thing like that. And it can take those those signals and transform them into music. So you, so you can you know you can play an instrument uh, without actually touching anything, which has such interesting ramifications and potential for for people that can't can't play music for whatever reason. Maybe you know maybe they've been injured or uh, or maybe they just don't have the same you know physical mobility. Uh, and so it has it has all kinds of amazing. Uh, potential in that in that area. There's two other modes of music making as well. One is sort of an ambient mode where it makes music using more passive sensor, uh, like like temperature in the room, or, you know, humidity, or you know, whatever it can read really anything. Uh, and then it has what we call touch mode. But it, touch mode is a bit of a misnomer because you don't actually touch it. But it uh, it has what they call these ZX sensors, which are infrared sensors that kind of emit from it, and you can you know move your hands through the space over top of the instrument and, and it kind of functions like a like a super theremin <laughs> I guess <laughs> and that's uh, and that's Jade and I'm still I'm still working on both but uh, wow but uh, but yeah I'm, I'm uh, uh, cur- cur- yeah, we currently have some, some interesting research pro- programs on the go with, with Jade right now mm-hmm. yeah. and all that wouldn't have been possible yeah, without without Merle and the rest of it yeah, for sure. I mean, you really made some impact with uh, Merle there. Um, now, let's go to uh, your East Coast Music Award nomination. Um, of course, it was uh, up for uh, Classical Composer of the Year and Composer of the Year, uh, of course, uh, from your album Reddened by Hammer. And I want to go to Reddened by Hammer. So uh, what was the recording process like for that? Because you released that about a year and a half ago. So uh, what was the process involved uh, with working uh, on that record? Yeah, that record is, is different in a lot of ways. Uh and, and I'm really, I, I'm particularly uh, happy that it, that it's received these recognitions because I, I've definitely taken a different path on it and taken some some risks. Uh, first of all, it it is a record. <laughs> I composed it with the idea of having it on vinyl as the primary listening experience, and that was a lot of fun because vinyl. I mean, it's not just it's not just a different way of. It's it's not just a surrogate for tape or CD or streaming. It is it is different, and it it comes with all kinds of things that many people don't understand, especially people that don't have record players. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a direct relationship, for instance, between you know the the sound quality and the duration. So aside of aside of a vinyl can hold about twenty minutes of music, and if you want any more than that, then they have to cut the they have to cut the grooves. Uh, less deep and less defined. So if you want to have 25 or 30 minutes on the side, it's going to sound worse. <laughs> uh, yeah. it, which is, which is fascinating. You also have to physically flip it, which, which, which really creates, you know, a side A and a side B. And there's all a bunch of other things, uh, including frequency response and, and the rest of it. Uh, so, so it's, uh, it's a bit of a, it's, it's a bit of an unusual choice. A lot of people, when they put it on vinyl, they just put whatever they put on CD on, they just put it on the vinyl. Uh, um, very few people think about what what the meaning is actually all about. Uh, and, and and secondly, you know, I primarily work on commission. 
all the music I write, I, I'm typically sought out um, by you know, these people that you mentioned, like they do a Pasatone or Toronto Symphony or whoever, and they ask me to write, and I and I and I write for them, and, that, and that's kind of how it goes. Uh, this this project I did only because I wanted to do it. Nobody asked me to make it. I wanted to do it, you know, by me for me, and I wrote it over a, a considerable period of time because, of course, I'm I'm super busy. You know, I'm always working on some commission or another. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, and I've been really busy too, man. Like I I I think since two thousand and something, ever since I've been a professional, I've had about two two years of work ahead of me, give or take, almost all the time. So there's not, there's not a lot of room for for like, hey. If I could just do anything, what would I do? So I decided to make the opportunity and and, uh, and and make this record. So I wanted to kind of recompose or remix the songs that I've written for some, with some dear friends of mine, uh, Erica Switzer and Martha Goof and Tyler Duncan and, and uh, Bolt Robin Richardson. So I, I worked with them quite a bit before and we'd made this awesome album of, of classical art songs. And I thought it would be really, really cool to kind of reimagine, recompose, or remix, or however you want to think of it. Take these these classical art songs, contemporary classical, and reimagine them as this electronic ambient remix. Uh, you know, nobody's ever really done anything like that. You know, electroacoustic art song. Like, who's ever who's ever heard of that? It's a mm-hmm. <laughs> but. But I, I just, I just saw a place for it and I, and I, and I had, a, had a, you know, compelling artistic vision, I suppose. So, so that, that's how it came, came about. And I, you know, wrote these pieces all sort of in the cracks of, of a bigger project and, and put it all together and, uh, and released it on the sort of side A, side B format where the, where the you know, top side of the record is, uh, there are these, these remixes of a few of these art songs and then the other side is a, a reissue the original songs like a little bit, you know, mastered for uh, remastered for mm-hmm. for vinyl. So I'm super proud of it, and it's like I said, it t- takes a lot of. It, it's just different. It's it, it's a, di- a different way of approaching things, and it's a risky way of approaching things. But I'm really happy with it. Yeah. And. Uh, but, some, yeah. but sometimes I hope, people, hope people listen to it. But yeah, sometimes it's those risks that really can pay off, and really that you can bring out your best work in you too. And uh, from you know what you said uh, about the written by Hammer. I guess uh, the risk was worth it. Yeah, I I, I, I think so. And uh, I mean, it's very hard to tell in, the, in this world, in this life, you know, how, how do you know if something was worth it or, or, how, or how do you know if, if you've done well or, or succeeded? Right. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and I think, you know, the, the first and ultimately the most important thing is that you're happy with it as, as, as a creator and, and you're glad, but it's the creative team and the, the people that made it actually like it Nothing else matters if they don't. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, it's the most important thing. But but my gosh, we make music to, to share with people, and uh, and you know, in in the, in the age where you know, sixty thousand tracks or thirty thousand tracks or whatever is dropped every day on Spotify, you know, just the opportunity to to be held up a little bit like the ECMAs would do and maybe have somebody listen to this music, actually listen to it. Like not just kind of scroll through it on the doom scrolling. We all do on, on social media, but actually take a right. moment, take, take the record and actually listen to the music. That would be amazing. Uh, 
you know, we don't we don't give ourselves these opportunities enough. Like, well, well I mean, you're a music enthusiast, Zach, but like, like I asked this to your listeners too. Like, when was the last time you gave yourself an opportunity to sit down and actually listen to something? Well, while not doing something else, like no no bubble bath, no cook, no cooking dinner, doing the dishes, no quote unquote multitasking, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I don't think is a thing. <laughs> uh, you know, like when was the last time? It, it's it, it doesn't. It, I mean, I'd be curious to see what, what your answer is. But uh, I know I don't do it nearly as much as I would like. Yeah. Now, um, you are one of 58 nominations from this province, the most Newfoundland and Labrador has ever had at the East Coast Music Awards. Um, what does it say about uh, Newfoundland and Labrador music and how far it's come over the past three years? And especially, like, this, like since, uh, I would say, like, even 2019, when we have uh, 38 nominations, and now to go to 58, like, uh, how does it feel to, you know, be part of that group? Well, I mean, this Newfoundland and Labrador is a, is a kick-ass place. It's it's not not a big place, but it, geographically or, or even by population. But there's just so much high powered work that comes from here and from people that, that you know that are from here. So it's great. It, it's it's great to see. Um, it, it's great to see so much artistic vibrancy, and and to, and to be part of that as as well. And I think that's the really the real value of something like the UCMAs or these these awards is and ultimately it doesn't really matter who comes home with the the win you know like you you have a field of five candidates or whatever and one person is somehow deemed a winner god god knows how they figure that out that's not really what it's about i think what, what, what it's about in this moment that we're in right now is this domination period where we have all of these artists 58 you say uh the, the 58 e- 58, yeah, 58 Newfoundland and Labrador artists plus everybody else in, in the community, uh, you know, that, that makes up the ECMAs, uh, have all had, had, a, had a light shone on them. And everybody wins for this, right? Because, because any amount of attention we can get from, from you know, from people to, to pay attention, listen, you know, lend, lend us your ears, so to speak, is, is a win for everybody. And I think that's really what it's what it's all about and the, you know, the true value of the, of it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great place. This is a wonderful, wonderful place to, to be a musician. And there's, there's just so much talent here and, uh, and so much, and so much acceptance and love of, of all kinds of music, you know, you don't get that everywhere. Mm-hmm, for sure. Now, um, uh, the East coast music awards, of course, going to be in Halifax, the 35th annual, uh, May 3rd to the 7th. Uh, and, uh, so what's next for you? And for people who want to find out more about what you're up to, uh, where can they find you? Well, you can, you can find me anywhere you're going to, anywhere you're going to find digital music, you know, on uh, Apple, Apple music, iTunes and Spotify. And if you want to check out the uh, work that I do, you can check me out on my website. It's uh, Uh You can check me out there. And uh, yeah, and I'm, uh, what, in terms of what's coming up next, I'm working on some interesting film projects, uh, doing some film scoring with some really, uh, really fantastic uh, directors that are those brothers are coming down the pipe. And um, I'm also working on an amazing saxophone quartet. Oh wow! In, uh, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. The group's called Quasar, and I'm, I'm doing a, uh, nice. a piece for them for saxophone quartet and electronics coming up. Yeah, so there's always, always some exciting things coming up. But yeah, by all means. Uh, 
look me up and uh, listen to the music. Not just not just my. If I, if I could leave your listeners and yourself and anybody else with with, with one takeaway from all of this, is just spend some time listening to what's going on around you. This, this, you're, you're not going to be disappointed. Yeah, that's a great way to wrap up there, Andrew. Um, congratulations again on your East Coast Music Award nominations. Uh, and, uh, of course, best of luck in May. And uh, I'm excited to see what you got coming up uh, in the next couple of months. So, uh, Andrew Standerland, thank you all, or thank you so much for uh, joining me on the Musical Connections podcast. You have a wonderful day. And, once again, best of luck in May uh, at the East Coast Music Awards. Thanks, Zach. Have, have, a, have a great day. What a great conversation that we had there with Andrew Standaland here on the Musical Connections podcast. And right now, from the album that has got him nominated for ECMAs for Classical Composer and Classical Recording of the Year, here's one of the uh, sections of Earthquakes and Islands. Here's the title track, Reddened by Hammer, on the Musical Connections podcast.
that does it for this week's edition of the Musical Connections podcast. Thank you for tuning in to episode 16, and a big thank you to Andrew Stantaland for joining me on the program this week. On next week's podcast, we're going to talk to duo Nancy Don and Timothy Steves. They are known as Duo Concertante. They are up for Classical Recording of the Year, along with Andrew Stantaland, for their album, Ecology of Being. We're going to talk to them next week. And of course, if you want to listen to previous episodes of the podcast, you can subscribe to Apple and Spotify. Type Musical Connections in the search bar and uh, make sure you subscribe to it. Leave a comment there as well because it helps out the show a lot. If you got any new music for newfound releases or would like to be a guest on the podcast, email musicalconnectionsnl at gmail.com and new episodes of Musical Connections drop every Tuesday at 12 noon, Newfoundland, Standard Time. Thank you so much for connecting this week. I've been your host, Zach Snow. Stay safe and please be kind to one another. Until next time, safe home.